Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? Hello. Welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row. Champions of unsung and underrated cinema. Please go to backdashrow.com for more content of the written variety as well as more podcasts. You can find us on all of the social sites like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blog, And you can email us at backrowcineblog at gmail.com. And before we get into our episode, I'm going to do things a little weird this time. I'm going to introduce our guest before I introduce Carlo, because I believe we have a little bit that we can talk about about Patreon, right? Jenna? Oh, hey there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, join our Patreon. If, if you don't know who I am, I run Back Row <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Veronica and Carlo and Dan. And uh, yeah, you should absolutely join our Patreon. We have a bunch of cool stuff up there, especially for Halloween and even if it's after Halloween and you're listening to this, you can always go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash blog, And you can read up on it anyhow, because there's no end to the, the spooky season, as yeah. everyone seems to be saying this year. I almost feel like I shouldn't say that because it's already played out and Halloween hasn't happened yet, technically. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we would love for you to give us money. <laughs> Yeah. And we would can, love to give you things for that money. So Yeah, it's like an early episodes of, of the podcast and and exclusive essays. And an like end that. of your swag box for uh the big donors get the big one and the mm-hmm. not the still large but not as large donors uh get a slightly smaller one. And yeah, it's great. It's gonna be great. We're all creative people and we're gonna make original items to give to you. So it, it should be very exciting. Yes. Amazing. So go to backdashrow.com and you can find all the information there. And yes, join us on Patreon, please. And as I mentioned, Carlo is here as well. I am. Hello. Hello. What's up? (laughs) It's an episode of Hoser Horror, the podcast where Carlo and I talk about Canadian horror movies of varying quality. They are the (laughs) kinds of movies. This movie was shot in 3B. Three beers and it looks good, eh? That are shot in 3B. That's what we're talking about today. As you heard already, we have a guest. Jenna's here to join us again. Returning guest. <laughs> it's a me. Uh, you know, I'm a real uh, Canadian kind of guy. You know, <laughs> spot on accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Please don't wreck the show. Don't wreck our show, you hoser. <laughs> Can I get you something? Can I get you beer, a uh, back bacon? We can go out for a rip later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Out for a rip. Get out of the bag. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a really good show, and we're talking about two very interesting movies, so let's get into it. Nothing I like better than the totally prepared fisherman. Let's go catch us some lunkers. <laughs> we are going to talk about two films from the same year, 1974. Did we decide whether or not this had, like, a theme of any kind? I mean, they're both about death dreams. Yeah. Uh, sort of. Well, that one is one is called Death Dream and the other one is about a dream, dream of death. About dying? Yeah. Yeah. So again from the same year, kind of interesting that these two movies came out uh or, you know around the same time, but we're going to we're going to start by going back to August of 1974 and we are going to talk about a movie called Death Dream aka Dead of Night as night fell. Something evil descended upon the town. Something corrupt, unspeakable. Behind their drawn curtains, they waited as fear walked in the dead of night. Oh, God! Oh! He's home. Andy! I didn't know Andy was home. Is that Andy? Joanne doesn't even know he's home yet. She'll be so surprised. But Andy wouldn't kill anybody. Something came with him. Something unspeakable. Dead of Night, starring Academy Award winners John Marley and Lynn Carlin. Due to the importance of the first five minutes of Dead of Night, audiences will not be seated after the beginning of the picture. This is directed by Bob Clark. Synopsis, The Dead of Night Changed the Lives of Many and ended the lives of some. The synopsis is a young soldier killed in Vietnam inexplicably shows up to his family home one night. It was produced by Quadrant Films as well as Impact Films and Deadwalk Company, distributed by Entertainment International in the States, an ambassador film in uh, Canada, filmed in Florida for about $200,000. And uh, had anyone seen, was this all a first viewing for us? For me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, I I only I actually watched this uh, because it was on the Criterion seventy horror list that yeah. they just came out with of streaming. I was wondering why you came to this when I saw <laughs> yes. it on Letterboxd. I was like, why is why is Jenna watching hoser horror? <laughs> I didn't even know this was even semi Canadian. I yeah. saw that it was shot in Florida, and I was like, yeah, it checks out. Yeah, <laughs> Florida, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and this is a movie that's loomed over me for a long time. I've always known it's supposed to be very good, but I yeah, I had never seen it until now. Hmm. Yeah, first one for me as well. Like I probably it came on my radar after I first saw Black Christmas, probably because Bob Clark. But then again, Bob Clark's career is like I don't know. There's some duds in there, but more towards the end of his career. Then again, he also the Porky's, didn't he? A classic. <laughs> yeah. So to talk about Death Dream, we need to talk a little bit about a company called Quadrant Films. So. I made some notes here. Some of these notes came from the Canuxploitation review, which you can review, uh, which you can read on Canuxploitation.com. And then I also found some other interesting stuff from a Bob Clark interview that was specifically about Death Dream. So Quadrant Films was started by somebody named Peter James. He was a British writer. He came to Canada in 1970 and he worked on this show called Polka Dot Door, 
which to non-Canadians, I think, is just some weird name for a show. But for Canadians, it's like, holy yeah, Polka Dot Door was like a big deal for kids. <laughs> oh, okay. What was it? It was like this kid's show where there was this character named like po- Pokeroo. And, okay. was, and he, po- was it a kangaroo? Kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah, really? With oh. polka dots. That's and not very Canadian, is it? <laughs> yeah, it was It was a weird, like, kind of, like, person in a suit character. Oh. And, and there was these two, like, uh, kid show hosts, but one of them would never be around when Pokeroo was around because they were the one in the suit. And they would always be like, <laughs> where'd that character go? Oh, here's Pokeroo. <laughs> Okay, I'm googling this now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first, like, one of the first images that pops up is like, I guess, like Polkaroo and this Superman type of character smoking weed. Oh, is really? That, is that it? <laughs> Toronto's weed smoking Polkaroo and legal dot dot dot. Oh, I don't know about that legal stuff. <laughs> Toronto's weed smoking Polkaroo and legal trouble with TVO on blogto.com. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know what it is. Oh. It's called Tokaroo. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What, what, what are you guys doing over there with your legalized weed? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a weird show and it had a bunch of like different characters. There was like uh, um, a bear character and this weird little like round brown egg looking character. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a really popular show for children and it was oh. on reruns a lot and I saw a lot of it. But basically Peter James came to work here on, on the show and him and a partner decided to take advantage of the funding that was available and they started a Toronto-based company called Quadrant Films. The first thing they did was invest in the Corpse Grinders and Blood Orgy of the She-Devils from <laughs> uh, Ted V. Michaels. Oh, yeah. I just, I just, can we just like... The the transition from Pokeroo to the corpse, yeah, grinders corpse grinders and blood orgy of the she devils. Go on, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and so after though they made some money on those films, uh, Ted V. Michaels actually started to do some work with Bob Clark, and he he was a cameraman on uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which was mm. Bob Clark's first kind of mainstream film, yeah. and. They distributed that to drive-ins and it made them a lot of money. And so they said, hey, Bob Clark, why don't you make a movie for us and we'll actually produce it and fund it. And that's what became Death Dream. I see. And it it was originally going to be called The Veteran, but they said that was too controversial. So they changed the name. Um, it had a bunch of different names, Whispers, Night Talk, The Night Andy Came Home. But it came to be known as Death Dream and, and also sometimes Dead of Night. Yeah. So I won't talk. I have a lot of notes about kind of what blog uh what bob clark was trying to get at with the movie it's pretty yeah. clear when you watch it but yeah um he, but the, he, he was the one thing i'll say is that he said like we were going in with like we're gonna make this movie and we're gonna make a very anti-war kind of like mm-hmm. what happens when people come home from the war horror movie um it, and so yeah how do you yeah, guys want to want to talk about death dream i mean you say it's very clear like what bob is doing and it is it's obviously obviously very clear but i saw some stuff on the internet where it's like it wasn't too clear to America, but it was a big hit in France where they got yeah. it right away. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Jesus, really? It's pretty I know. obvious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Like it went, apparently it played film fest- festivals in France and it, and they really liked it there. But yeah, in yeah. the States, people were a little bit like, huh? Which is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it couldn't be more obvious yeah. to me. Yeah, I, know. I I would like to know. I would like to know the, where they got that information because I can't imagine anyone 
not uh-huh. getting it. It's like it's very explicit. But yeah. <laughs> at the same time, I can definitely see maybe why people at the time didn't want to hear about it in a way, mm-hmm. perhaps. Oh, yeah, though, in that way, though yeah, I maybe, can yeah. I mean, because when the Vietnam War ended, I think like 75 or so. So it you was like definitely Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely like in in the middle of it. So mm-hmm. it might just be the fact that people just didn't didn't even care. Uh, and, wanna, and they yeah, didn't want to hear about like, it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also like I thought what was really cool about this, and I and I love this by the way. I thought this mm-hmm. movie rocked, um, mm-hmm. considering it's sort of like a little bit trashy, and it, it sure. sort of doesn't go for it. it doesn't really take everything to an intelligent place as much as it undercuts it all for a dopey schlocky place which is also fun <laughs> because it's super enjoyable yeah but um it felt strongly anti-war to me in a very oh, yeah. humanistic way which is exactly what what i loved about it yeah definitely um you, you know there was a quote from uh, bob clark where he said when he was saying that we had a, a political thing in mind he said but we also wanted to stay within horror movie conventions yeah. so he said like when you have a movie where the hero villain is a soldier who comes home and he's shooting blood like dope you know to keep mm-hmm. himself alive it's like a pretty obvious metaphor that of what they're trying to go for but i do think that speaks to their kind of willingness to be like and also we'll add in like these silly kind of shock scenes you know like <laughs> you know and and for the listener if if i haven't you know the, the synopsis was very quick, uh, but in general, it's about a, a boy named Andy who comes home from the war and, you know, the parents are very worried. They haven't received letters from him in a while and they and they end up getting a notification. You know, somebody comes to the house and sends them a letter and says, you know, your son has passed away. I'm sorry. And then at like 3 a.m. that night, he shows up and he's quiet and weird and there is a little bit of the like monkey's paw thing here because the wife the wife was really distraught yeah. and saying like please lord let him come home kind yeah, of yeah. thing so it's like she got what she wished for but but not turns out that he's you know kind of yeah, a zombie but the, the turkey was a little dry yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i think that speaks to their kind of wanting to do the both things like i think of the stuff near the end of the movie at the drive-in where it really becomes kind of like a zombie movie where Mm -hmm. his head starts gushing you know goo and he starts attacking all of his friends and stuff it's Mm -hmm. like you know this could could be in any zombie movie Yeah, yeah but the stuff that's around it for me like like for me Watching something like Black Christmas, you know, Mm. it's such a a perfectly crafted slasher movie with Mm -hmm. political undertones and and in that movie it's a bit more subtle it's a bit more about like there's there's like the issue of whether or not the main character is going to have an abortion and Mm -hmm. and there's all this kind of like like social political stuff going on and in this movie it's it's way more upfront but i just i was really taken aback for me personally how how well executed this movie is i think bob clark shows with death dream a real knack of being able to jump back and forth between tones because there's like comedy in the opening stretch too there was like like when that guy comes over to see andy the like um mailman there's this kind of like awkward humor stuff going on but it doesn't detract from the political stuff and it doesn't detract from the horror it's just he's so good at like i'm gonna hit you with like a note of comedy and then we're gonna go back to the drama and and i was really surprised that for a second movie he was as fully formed here as he is Mm. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that is really great about this and the thing that sort of in general turns me off a lot of times about horror genre stuff is that um, the in-between scenes actually have a point. (laughs) 
yeah. they're not just filler and like a setup for like later the violence happening which they are to a degree but like all of these in-between scenes end up setting up this really interesting dynamic and this interesting commentary about just how crappy uh you know the 70s americanism is like mm-hmm. this, this whole suburban uh you know this perfect family kind of uh you know nuclear family ideal is like a total <laughs> sham the father is uh, totally embarrassed by his son, who is clearly suffering from PTSD slash yeah. zombie disease. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, he just has no empathy for him. You know, shake out of it, man. You know, like even the the, uh, the mailman yeah. who comes over to, like, talk about, like, war stories. Like, yeah, remember when we shot that guy's head off? That was fun, yeah, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and, and like he, I, yeah. he has nothing to say to that. And then he's like, I don't understand what's wrong with him, you know? And, and and it's just sort of pointing out just how bankrupt all of this stuff is, even in comparison to this character, even to this soldier who at the time also was being, you know, like, people coming back from Vietnam weren't getting the rah-rah troops treatment. They yeah. were getting the screw-you fascist murderer <laughs> treatment. And and yeah. so, uh, you know, it's also sort of pointing out just how how terrible, uh, you know, your your layman is uh, in, in juxtaposition with the soldier who is now clearly this sort of addicted and, and you know, for like to murder and, and yeah. <laughs> can't live without <laughs> gaining new blood. And mm-hmm. I love there's that one scene uh, where he strangles this doctor also who is trying yeah. to say, oh, he's there's something wrong with him and he's screwed forever. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, throw them out. Let's start a new one kind of uh, doctor <laughs> attitude. But, you know, there's that great scene where and it's also it's so totally overt. But I loved it where he like goes after the doctor to kill him and strangle him. And he says, I died yeah. for you, doc. Why shouldn't you return the favor? <laughs> yeah, so good. It's so good. I just want to like give that to every politician right now and be like, <laughs> watch this yeah i really liked john marley uh as the dad he was in faces um and the godfather obviously and the mother too um, right the both of them were in faces yeah and and the um the and him and the mailman they have this there's that like you know we went through war too you know what i mean there's like almost a generation thing going on there right between the like the son and and the and the older men where they're like yeah like the the mailman comes over with all these kind of stories like he got a wound in the war but you know what it came from he got shot in the butt <laughs> like you know, we made it through the war and now we're looking back on it and we lost a lot of men but we lost a lot of men that deserved it too or something and, <laughs> right and there's this very like you know like man up we lived through it and now i'm laughing about it and it's like like there's just this interesting kind of like generation gap thing going on on top of you know the sort of He's a zombie who came back from the war, political stuff too. Mm. Right. And it's not, it doesn't, it really doesn't take those kind of cheap shots at, at the soldier too, which is kind of interesting and, and yeah. neat because yeah, it's exactly, it's about this sort of, it's sympathetic to him, but it's also like, yeah, he's a murderous zombie now forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, I was struck by how sad this movie was, it is to be sad. honest. By the end of the movie, when the the and spoiler alerts for people listening, that the the mother had you know takes him zombified at his worst, kind of deteriorating, um to to the grave and you know d- drops him in the grave basically as the you know people are chasing him down you know and she's like he came home not every boy comes home it's just and then it like cranes up it it's such a strikingly sad ending it was really a downer but it was. You know, I, I definitely 
was left with like a really like impressed kind of like holy crap that's a good second movie <laughs> did you how did you feel about this carlo i feel like i just we crowded you out <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Like, I don't have, like, really strong opinions about this movie. This movie just failed to resonate with me for some reason. Like, I can't really mm. say why. Maybe because it's, like, it, it's a very, like, I don't know, I feel like wallowing movie. It, it sort of, like, reminded me of why I'm not a fan of Possession either. It's just, mm. this, like, trauma porn. Uh, just, I don't know. That's just just not on my wavelength. I, I, I have a hard time getting invested in that. And the characters... Yeah. The characters as well, like none of them were like, okay, I care what happens to this person. They were all a little flat for me. Whereas in Black Christmas, I thought that was like one of the strong points of that movie, like the characters. And also you mentioned before, like the sense of humor that's like sprinkled throughout this movie. I just never picked up on that really. Like, I guess mm -hmm. it just wasn't happening on my level, you know? Uh, yeah. And when you consider it as a horror movie as well, I feel like it's, it's, it's more of a drama like a very slow burn drama with barely like any conflict until at the end it becomes like more of a schlocky horror movie, mm -hmm. which maybe is more my speed, the, the schlock. Um, <laughs> saying that though, I like the idea behind it, like this whole like physical manifestation of the effects of war uh, and the effects it has on people who aren't like directly fighting in the mm -hmm. war or whatever. I do like that idea a lot, but something about like the execution just, I don't know, it just didn't do it for me. And I feel bad about it because I know it's a, it's a fan favorite, like a cult <laughs> favorite movie. And it's, I mean, I love Black Christmas. Yeah. So, you know. It's definitely a very 70s movie. And there's also like a vibe that comes with that in a way that yeah, but like... Yeah, so is Black Christmas though. So, you know. <laughs> you know what it reminded me? It actually, in a way, the, the structure of it uh, made me think of The Curse of the Werewolf, the Hammer film with Oliver that. Reed because mm. it's the same thing like you spend the whole thing being like he's gonna turn into a werewolf and like you mm. don't get any of that <laughs> until yeah. the last five minutes like it's this basically like a torture porn movie until the last yeah, yeah, five yeah. minutes and then you get this like full-on werewolf transformation and mm -hmm. and that's it like and then the movie's over so it's sort of yeah. in a way that's kind of what this one's like you you keep expecting something to happen but it sort of coasts on just like a, a guy sitting uh in a chair and rocking yeah. slowly and yeah. staring off into the middle distance <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the thing though like i don't even need stuff to happen in a movie if the vibe is right or if i if there's like some characters i enjoy just seeing doing banal stuff <laughs> I've, mm -hmm. there's enough examples of movies i've liked that are just that yeah but for this one i don't know i thought everyone was kind of unpleasant really yeah i think that's fair and i think you know um we have run into that a little bit on the show before too right like but yeah, like yeah, for real. there's been movies where one of us liked the, of the vibe of a movie and another one didn't or mm -hmm. or even like something um uh, like uh, Deadline, that movie we record, we, yeah, we did, yeah. where it was like a, a really kind of like depressing 70s kind of like drab movie. But, you know, and, and sometimes that vibe works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, you know? for that one, I, I think I like that one more, actually. Like it did some like pretty creative stuff at points, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yeah, you know, can't win them all. Yeah, can't <laughs> win them some all. movies that don't work yeah. for you. I... I think that, you know, there's definitely an element to Death Dream um, where I could see somebody watching it and not that, that you had this issue, but mm -hmm. I could see somebody saying it's a little un like it, it's it's tackling a lot of 
the like um, arms of one problem almost like, yeah. you know, we get the the mom and the dad and their different sort of reactions to him coming home and being zombified. But then we also get like his sister and her and, and she wants to go out on like a double date with him. And then yeah. we also get like his, you know, long time. Uh, is it a girlfriend or fiance? Like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, and like here now we see like this side of him coming home where she's not hearing from him and wondering why he doesn't want anything to do with her almost. And, and I could see See that being like there's a lot and it's like you know if you're not already on board for the vibe or you're not you know totally enjoying the movie it's also pulling you in a bunch of different directions like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's doing a lot yeah like definitely <laughs> yeah. at one point i was like who's who's like a, actually like the main character here <laughs> and there, there isn't really one like it's about the family more as a yeah as a whole i guess yeah it's, totally. de it's definitely like a shallow take on a complex issue and i yeah. think that what i like most about this movie in a way which isn't i'm not trying to diss the movie when i say <laughs> this but i think what i liked more was about like the way that i thought about this film like intellectually mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. i found this to be like a stimulating concept mm -hmm. and so yeah, like yeah, to yeah, then read sure. into all of these like the gaps is yeah. where i really had fun like thinking about just how you know coming back from war and having this like communication issue you know like and, yeah. and mm -hmm. vocabulary and all this stuff that doesn't really show up in the movie. Like it's <laughs> yeah. there, you know, like they give you just enough touches of, of sprinkles of things to sort of light up your imagination and kind of go nuts with it in your head. Yeah, but, maybe I would have liked it more if there was more of that. Like right. if it went deeper into, like I felt kind of stuck in between, you know, wanting both sides to be both schlocky and have substance. And yeah, it's, it's a hard like balancing trick. Like I, I guess for most people it worked in this one, but for me, yeah, I just w I wish it picked a side. I also think that you know, for, in terms of it working for me, I I think that balance Jenna was talking about mm -hmm. around like it's giving you enough to think about, but you know, it doesn't fully dive in there. I think sometimes I watch movies, you know, especially horror movies, mm -hmm. where I'm like, you're just using something as window dressing and yeah, you're not actually right. getting at what this is about but what i think works about death dream is it's it's giving you enough so that when the movie was over i had a lot to think about mm -hmm. but while i was watching it i also enjoyed it just as the horror movie and yeah. i thought that it was compelling without that so mm -hmm. it's like it's this nice middle ground of you know um it has enough of the politics that I, I'm not just going to say like, oh, you're just using this for whatever, for your horror kicks. <laughs> right. But then it also has enough of that where I was like interested on kind of a base yeah. level as well. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's, it's exploiting that angle really. Like uh, it's, it's yeah. trying to be sincere about it. Like, yeah. I also love Vietnam War movies. <laughs> so <laughs> oh. it's definitely a topic that, that's always interested me in like literature and all that stuff. So like, I guess that's also part of it for me because I don't know, in a way, like I had a hard time, you know, doing my little letterbox star review, which, <laughs> you know, is typically I, I sort of review things based on a, a scale and I've made up in my mind and it has more to do <laughs> with reflecting just like what I like emotionally what I felt while I was watching it so like if I got really excited like you know four stars yeah, yeah, and yeah. up and I mean in like this one like that, yeah and so like you know it doesn't really mean anything but no. like yeah. for this one it was a little tough because I was like well I really like the concept but like the movie isn't that great mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but like I really enjoy talking about it and I really like I had fun watching it so you mm -hmm. know like it, it, it's this weird that's, that's that weird that's like no star important. World, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, to me, that's always more important, like how you feel about the movie. Like there, there's people who rate based on quality of a movie, but I always, that's something that's very abstract to me. Yeah. Quality of a movie, because I watch so many movies with like, uh, what people consider to be bad acting or mm. I don't know, like bad, a whole lot of other stuff as well. But I don't know if the movie gets me excited. I don't care. Right. Yeah. It, it's always funny when somebody tries to be like, you gave X two stars, but Y four stars. And I'm like, yeah. it's not apples to apples, man. <laughs> no, <shit."> no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, I gave that movie four stars because it had a dog I liked in it. Or I gave that movie two stars because it was boring, but, you know, it's really well made uh, or whatever. It's not like just a sign of quality yeah that's I, so funny i just rewatched this is off topic but i just rewatched barbarella and i saw my original review from that from over 10 years ago where i gave it two stars yeah. and then i rewatched it this time i was like no this rocks yeah <laughs> exactly it's total yeah. crap trash and it's great totally Gotta yeah i've it. done that where i where you that's fun now that letterboxd has been around for long enough to to like Oh shit! I saw something in 2012 and gave it one and a half stars because technically it's a bad movie, but I just watched <laughs> it and loved it because it is very entertaining. So yeah. right, I just rated, re-rated it four stars. But now. the next, <laughs> the next movie, I, I think. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just before we get to our next film, I would be remiss to bring up that uh, Tom Savini, the special effects makeup uh, artist extraordinaire, got his start on this movie. So we have a lot of uh, movie effects throughout the years that we can kind of thank uh, Death Dream for. Apparently he was just there to apply and build prosthetics and do mm. whatever was necessary, uh, said one of the people who worked on this film. So I thought that was interesting. I didn't think that the effects were anything, you know. The, him melting his little head squirting goo was kind of cool. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's also interesting because Tom Savini has a history in Vietnam in War. In Vietnam, yeah. So, you know. Yeah, and, yeah and I mean, that's a, a big talking point always, right, for Savini. Like, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I saw the stuff in real life and then I had to, and then now I'm making it for the movies. Yeah, yeah. I don't really remember, like, any, like, gnarly effects in this one. But, I mean, everyone who knows special effects knows Tom Savini's work. So, you know, there's not much to add to that other than... Well, speaking of not much to add to... <laughs> <laughs> Let's go forward a month or two to November of 1974 and talk about a film called Seizure. Don't ask us who we are or where we come from. Our only purpose is death. <laughs> now one after the other, the rest of you will die. There will be darkness damnation and a meaningless death we know your secret we read your mind you can never run from it you can never hide from it it's a breath-stopping panic of seizure Rated PG.
You cannot run from them. You cannot hide from them. Their only purpose is the breath-stopping panic of seizure. The t- the synopsis is, a horror story writer, Edmund, suffers from a recurring nightmare in which three bizarre figures terrorize him and his family. When Blackstone begins to write, the three figures appear at his home and the dream becomes reality. This was produced by a number of companies, Astral, Bellevue, Pathé, Cinefilms, uh, Cinerama, a bunch of other companies distributed by Cinerama in the States and AIP as well. And it was shot in Quebec for about $250,000 and is the directorial debut of Oliver Stone. I think there was a reference to some something that he had done earlier. I think maybe he had done some, some less mainstream film before this. Wink, wink. <laughs> oh, like porno. I, I think in one of his interviews, yeah, he just kind of said like, well, this was the first one I made after that one. <laughs> but it's generally considered his, his debut. Um, and yeah, it came to him in a nightmare. And he said it felt like a fever dream. And and decided he would would write the movie. He had taken a course at NYU and and a, a course in horror films, I should say. Uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah, they decided I'm going to make this movie. Apparently, the production was really, really uh, out there. We can yeah, talk I about that a little that, bit. Yeah. <laughs> did he did he fail that horror writing course? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Has he done any other horror movies beyond this? I'm, I'm trying um, to think. Well, with, if you honestly, one of the things about this is if you look at his trajectory um, as a director, yeah. he went from Seizure to The Hand, which is a horror movie. Oh, yeah. I saw The Hand the, as a kid. The Hand crawling around. Yeah. And then, you know, in 86, he did Salvador, which was well received, oh, but yeah. kind of not um, a big hit. And then, you know, in 86, he's making Platoon. So it's like, you know, less oh, than, yeah, yeah. than like, what is that around 10 years, a little, a little more than 10 years. Like, he apparently also wrote Conan the Barbarian in 82. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he was doing a lot of writing before. Yeah, he really, Scarface really, as well. Year of the yeah. Dragon. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia now because I'm like not super aware of every movie. Like I'm not a huge Oliver Stone person necessarily. Not a Stonehead. Yeah. Stonehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he did Midnight Express too in 78. Ah, yes, yes. I see. Yeah, so that would have been actually between Seizure and The Hand, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. This is a movie about, this is almost a proto, or well, I guess not proto, but um, it's almost like a home invasion horror movie. Yeah. It's, it's a bunch of, yeah. of people at a house and some people show up to terrorize them. This, I mean, this we'd see that in now. stuff like uh, Death Weekend and other yeah. movies in the mid to late 70s. But it is interesting that it kind of fits into that thing that would get popular again in the in the 90s and 2000s. Man, this this movie though, <laughs> weirdest fucking festivus ever, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I So I kind of enjoyed when the first chunk of this movie was a bunch of people that are clearly all like dicks and not good people or <laughs> no. or I guess like the wife or whatever and the kid are fine. But I no. like that it for the first 20 or 30 minutes, this movie is just a bunch of kind of like bitchy people talking bitchily mm-hmm. to each other. <laughs> just kind people of talking like, bitchily. <laughs> yeah, like 70s style, just kind of like being yeah. like tit for tat dialogue. And I was kind of like, this is fun. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. that fun wore off. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it fun, but it was a little engaging. I was like, yeah. okay, like I want to find out what these people are all about because there's a lot of characters and like, who are all these people? Are they all family? What's yeah. going on? 
One and of the things I saw a lot in reviews of this on Letterboxd were like, why are these people hanging out together? Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's so confusing. that They do a terrible job of setting it up because it all happens in the first 10 minutes. And like, uh-huh. it was one of these, like, I'm watching the movie and then I, I felt like I blinked and I missed like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the plot. Suddenly they're like all jumping into a pool and I couldn't tell if like the kid and him and his wife were all in a different house than this, you yeah. know, other people. It was really strange. There was mm. like a teenaged, a, like aged character. Two of them, who, right? Or like a teenager. There was one who was like walking a... around in a Speedo, right? Or something. Yeah. And I was like, who is this? Is this a, another son or is it a friend? Or I don't understand. <laughs> no fucking clue. Like, it was all a dream. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. It's about, it's kind of about this guy who's writing these these horror stories and he's having these nightmares about these three, you know, people that come to the house and one of them is uh, the queen of evil and, and then it becomes reality. Somehow they show up and Mm. don't, really have any thing they're trying to do <laughs> no like they, they show up and i don't know like why do like all the i'm assuming it's all like one big family why do they go along with these characters into their like scheme or, or, whatever. or whatever like it didn't feel like they needed a lot of persuasion to go along with that yeah well we're here <laughs> so might, might as well listen to what these insane people right that came out of nowhere are saying might as well start running laps around the house until some people die. And especially yeah. the main character reason. who's been dreaming this, uh, who I was, Jonathan Frid, is it? And he's who I call the, the poor man's Harry Dean Stanton. But uh. I was about to say that. I have that in my notes as well. This is just like discount Harry Dean Stanton. Do you know Stanton. what, though? When he was wearing his like thick rimmed glasses and he had his kind of like uh, almost Bob style kind of like hair swish, yeah. I was like, this guy looks like an old version of Michael Showalter. <laughs> <laughs> That's I can good. see that. In one or two scenes, I was like, whoa, really looks like. But then he took his glasses off and didn't look anything like that. <laughs> but like, I don't, he, he's the one who's been having these nightmares and yeah. they're haunting him and then they start to happen in real life. And I can understand him being being freaked out but he was just like he didn't seem to have any reaction like at first he's hanging out with some freud stand-in guy who i still don't know where he was yeah uncle freud (laughs) um and like then they're talking about stuff and he keeps saying like you know i just wish i could tell you I wish I could express, you know, what I feel. And I'm like, I wish you could too, because I don't, I like. (laughs) Give give us a reason to care. Right. Like, you know, at bare minimum, at at bare minimum, you can say like, yeah, these came out of my mind and that's freaking me out, man. Like, I, like. Very wishy-washy, all of it. And then later on, he sort of turns on everyone and gives everyone away and then regrets it as he's doing it. And and Mm -hmm. there's absolutely zero character motivation all around Mm. for every single person in this, including the bad guys who really all they had to do was show up and be evil that's all they had to do yeah. i was totally yeah. down for it there's this bizarre mix of people uh and and they were just meant to come there and each have like a special evil skill and then they just don't yeah. drop the ball they don't do nothing no they just yeah, stand around the cast is interesting too like mary warnov is yeah. there and super and young hervey Valachez and and a bunch of people and, and a lot of like like you mentioned uh jonathan frid like he's from dark shadows and he's canadian and so there yeah there's a lot of i was like how is this interesting cast of people gonna end up in a tough situation but then <laughs> fair enough yeah it's just so it's it's just 
weird. It, I can understand somebody maybe liking this because they just like a weird thing that unfolds in front of them. Yeah. You know, but I was definitely by the halfway point being like, where where are we going and, and mm-hmm. why? And do and do I care? And the answer is no. not really. <laughs> I just like wanted more more murder at this point. Yeah. I mean, at the point where you need to have the character explain the incredibly obscure origins of these uh-huh. bad guys, which is what yeah. Uncle Freud does, where he goes, uh, "Yes, the, there was once a, a French uh, king who tortured people, and it's like a net man. Is this man in front of you now? You know, this long, dopey, like semi-racist at one point." explanation and yeah and <laughs> and then it's just like you know dude like i i i don't care like i never wondered about it i never had any questions about them i just wanted them to come and murder people like just please have more yeah, violence if, like please do anything or, or bring some kind of fantastical yeah like how you know have bring, like bring out some creatures <laughs> or something <laughs> Just bring out some ghoulies, man. Like, yeah. already, like I, I said this to you before, Dan, like, it just reminded me of, like, a, a Charles Band movie, but that uh, one that's just more pretentious, and, yeah. there's no, and there's no ghoulies, so on a schlock level, it fails, and try, again, trying to have substance, it fails, but this movie yeah. is just, yeah. Uh, where, yeah. for example, with Death Dream, I can see why people like this movie, but this <laughs> one, this one is, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a well, harder... There, you know, maybe some of that has to come from the low budget and the production. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this this movie is on Canuxploitation.com under the sharing the blame mm-hmm. section, which is uh, where you know where Paul would write about movies that weren't exclusively Canadian. Mm-hmm. So this movie was financed by a Toronto company. Um, the company eventually went bankrupt. Um, Oliver Stone talks about going to their offices in Toronto in an interview that I read and saying like, they were nice, but there's no furniture. They (laughs) were like into penny stocks and they went out of business. And so we lost a lot of the budget and they had to like, you know, go with less money, but then they made a deal with, uh, Bellevue Pathé and that's, um, kind of why it ended up doing sort of having some production ties to like French Canadian money and stuff. And so with the shelter and apparently the crew was entirely French Canadian um, and they went on strike at a certain point and and they got into a big argument with the producers and threw them in a lake for a rip throw I, you in the lake yeah I did read that people drank a lot on this set uh, yeah. Some, some yeah, other stuff I was, you, men, you mentioned before this movie, like financed by this company, that company, not just by, financed by movie company uh, companies. This thing I found on Wikipedia was a Mary Warnoff said that one of the film's producers uh, was this notorious gangster who was who was like on FBI's Most Wanted, uh, Michael Tevis, who pay, he paid for part of the film in an attempt to launder money. Wow. Because he was under <laughs> investigation by the FBI. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then they shoot the movie and they do it like all in overnight shoots and it's freezing cold apparently. And Hervé Valachez, there's a story where he says that he fell in a hole outside and Mm -hmm. luckily somebody went out to go to the washroom and heard him yelling that he couldn't get out of this hole because if if they hadn't, then he probably would have died there because it was like you'd be hypothermia weather kind of thing. And so, yeah, they end up finishing this crazy shoot and they're editing in Montreal and um, they got locked out of the editing room and he had to like seize the movie back using Canadian laws is what he says. And worth it. uh, Yeah. Worth it. (laughs) 
and then they couldn't find the sound masters, so they had to smuggle the work print over the border into America and redub the whole movie. Um, and they lost footage, and yeah, they had to do all the sound over and syncing. And you know, they took it around, and Sam Arkoff passed on it. It was like no thank Man, you. If, if Sam Ar- Ar- Arkoff passes on a movie, that's, yeah, that's not a good sign. Seriously, so. <laughs> This is definitely an example of, I think it, is it a, uh, no, I was going to say there's, um, there's a quote from like Roger Ebert or, mm. or Siskel saying like, you know, I'd, I'd rather sit at the table with, with the actors on their lunch break than, yeah. than watch the movie. But, <laughs> but this is, it's not that, but this is one of those movies where I want a, a movie about making this movie. I yeah, want that the fictionalized yeah. account of like someone getting thrown in a lake and they get locked out of the room and they're smuggling it over the border and yeah, someone yeah, falls yeah. in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> like that sounds way better than this movie. <laughs> There's also this, uh, what was his name? Charles, I think. This bigwig, rich guy. Like, right off the bat, you hate him. You remember that character? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he kind of reminded me of, like, a mix of Frank Costanza and, like, James Caan. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. So. <laughs> I I liked his scene with the guy that was sleeping um, with the wife. Mm-hmm where he like comes downstairs and they have this kind of like, like again, kind of like bitchy back and forth between yeah, the two yeah, of them. Yeah. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. I was kind of like, I can get into this, mm. but yeah, it really doesn't take you very far. Yeah. I thought that just, again, the Charles character, he's just a, like a real hateful character off the bat. I'm, I'm like, at least I'm feeling something, you know, even if it's hate, I'm like, yeah, fine. This is, this is something, but then he dies like, pretty early on and the rest of the movie is like uh. whatever happened to the what happens to the plot about the one guy giving the other dude a bunch of money did that go anywhere what happens to any of, i mean like part. it at least <laughs> makes some sense that you're saying that all of this footage was like you know lost or confused yeah, or whatever and like and... they had to recut this movie and maybe they needed mm. to get it to be a certain amount of time and so they just <laughs> yeah. left in all the crap like maybe mm-hmm. that like that's like the most ge- like generous reading of this movie but there's yeah. so many <laughs> weird like i mean there's full-on characters that that i guess get murdered and i don't even know how like wh- what about the old lady who gets the face cream that reminded me of that scene with Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart, where she puts it oh. on her face and her whole face is bright red. And then she's like uh. apologizing for getting remarried. But I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know yeah. who her husband was. I think it was maybe Uncle Freud. <laughs> yeah, when that happened, I was I that was one of those moments where I was like, what's going on in this movie? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's like these flashbacks to her like dancing and also what kind of looks like a David Lynch setting where there's just like a black void with curtains. Uh. I I will say there was some interesting elements to the craft of this movie. I thought there was like there was some of those moments where obviously in editing, they like really chopped up certain scenes and it got really grimy because they were doing like zoom ins on the filter. I mm-hmm. mean, on the film and stuff, it obviously wasn't a camera zoom and they were doing like a weird kind of like like zooming in on things. And I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Like this is really like, you know, being weird with the film in in hindsight and the way that you're editing it. And I kind of enjoyed some of that. But it's also like there's not enough of it to be like, oh, you're making the movie around this idea or anything. It was just like, maybe we'll get it this scene this way. 
Yeah, a lot of <laughs> handheld, know? you know, fisheye footage to yeah. replace substance. <laughs> yeah. I think the only scene yeah. that I, I genuinely enjoyed and I thought was also, it was shot well, was a scene where the the main writer is has to knife fight the sexy lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, I also didn't yeah. totally get. I think it was just that only one person can survive. And since he's a coward, yeah. he has yeah. to kill this, like, mistress totally. or the wife oh. of the George Costanza guy. <laughs> but um, I thought that was kind of a fun scene. But yeah. then I fell back asleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what? W- w- one thing that surprised me, what do you think the ratings are for both of these movies? Oh, yeah. Do you know? <laughs> I do. Okay, you know. So these are both PG movies. Yeah. Damn. That's weird, PG isn't in the it? 70s. <laughs> you know, what? It was, there, was only, there was only PG or R or G, so there was a big chasm between PG and R. Man, you yeah. Know? But aren't these like just R-rated movies, really? Well, there's no you... like explicit... Mm you know violence in either of them or Isn't or there? there's not a ton of of just like, like zombie shit or anything. death dream and then this one there's there's no nudity i feel like that's the big one mm, yeah maybe yeah still it was just weird seeing that on imdb i'm like looking these movies up i'm pg really but yeah i guess it makes sense because that system was like way yeah simplified i think they're, they're both then. on that like on that higher end of pg where it's frightening and, and even dead of night like it's not gruesome, you know what I mean? Like, there's the stuff with his head leaking, and there's some some murder scenes, but there's not, like, you know, gore, gore. I mean, what were R-rated movies in the 70s then, really? Uh, so, well, something like Bob Clark's uh, Black Christmas is very clearly, right, because there's more explicit violence, way more language. Okay, so that's an R in the 70s then. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Or, or tons of nudity. Because even, even there's p- lots of PG movies with nudity. <laughs> yeah, because the PG-13 <laughs> didn't exist yet. Like, when I was a kid, I remember watching Airplane 2, and there's yeah. nudity in it, and I was like, I'm getting away with something. This is PG. <laughs> I'm, looking at I'm like allowed R- to watch this movie. I'm looking at, like, R-rated movies in the 70s. Uh, so Exorcist, that's, like, a very obvious yeah, uh, yeah. obvious one. But even, like, Monty Python's Life of Brian is R-rated. Because there's... But- there's full frontal nudity, and it yeah. was blasphemous. They had a lot oh, of yeah, issues. Right, yeah, makes sense. I mean, the only thing I can think of as as also a bar is that Clockwork Orange in '71 was rated X. Yeah, and that's well, there was a lot of like you know X was a respectable rating for a while, huh? Midnight Cowboy was X. Yeah, really? You know, because uh, when X was originally you know a rating, it was. This is a movie for adults. Yeah. Like children should not see this at all. Oh, okay. Any, so it you know, didn't necessarily mean porn. It didn't back mean then. no, it didn't at all. Oh, interesting. That's why you ended up getting, you know, triple X movies because it was like yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. actually <laughs> gonna be because cause yeah, something like Midnight Yeah, Midnight Cowboy was it was just like you know, it was an adult film. It it deals with uh, you know, adult drama. <laughs> Sex stuff okay. in general was always like that's what that, that's mm. and then when that became normalized everyone went hog wild <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um so these two movies we gotta decide um whether or not you you liked them or you didn't like them so carlo did you think that death dream was worth five bucks all in all it was a good five dollars worth for me and my whole family well there you go i couldn't have said it better <laughs> yeah it's just a uh, this is just a yes or no question <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh. death dream 
Is it worth five bucks? Yes. Okay. And then uh, seizure? No. No? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> okay, so you're telling it to... Take off, eh? Yeah, take off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jenna, $5 worth or take off? For Death Dream, easily $5. All in all, it was a good $5 worth for me and my whole family. Eh? Hey, yep. <laughs> I, I yeah. thought it was a good $5 worth. <laughs> uh, that sounded more main, maybe. Uh, and and the Fuck other one, that one can take off, eh? Take off, eh? Yeah, I'm. I'm that's my rating as well. I five dollars for sure. I loved uh, Dead of Night, Death Dream, but yeah, take off. I figured seizure. out what they both have in common, though. Dog murder. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Like both small dogs as well. Small dog murder. Yeah, and. Uh, Chucky from Rugrats isn't that? Oh yeah, <laughs> that weird like, kid. Yeah, like right after the dog gets strangled by the guy, there's like a kid who's like Chucky from Rugrats. It's just him. Yeah, yeah. that was the first. That was the kid that I mentioned to Carlo in our private chat. But when that kid was on screen and the dog dies, the, he like starts crying, and Emma was like, "That kid cries weird." <laughs> <laughs> and she was right. He did. It was a weird, yeah, it definitely, a weird scream definitely and cry. didn't seem like he just saw what he was seeing yeah. in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like they just, I don't know, like took his toy. Maybe. Yeah. And best. you know what? That speaks to the 70s thing. I find with, with a lot of 70s movies, you'll get weird reactions that you would not expect. And that's yeah. one that like feels weird. But later in the movie at the drive-in, when he's like driving over somebody, um, oh, I yeah. can't remember if it was the sister or the or the uh, partner of the main character, but she does this like silent, like mouth agape scream while she's walking back. And it was like really effective, but was also like a weird seventies kind of thing. How about, how about that weird seventies music and seizure? We didn't mention that fake ass Plantasia soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. The, the best dollar store Plantasia. The best part is just when they kill the psychiatrist guy and he has this long speech as if you give a shit. And he's like, kill me swiftly for I have better things to go to. And this like music, this really sad over the top music swells. And then the, you know, the, the dude lifts up an axe. Or is it the Crystal Gale evil lady? Someone lifts up a giant axe and they like just lop his head off and the music just cuts. <laughs> and it's just like a reaction shot. And it's it was yeah. great comedic timing. That was definitely not meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> what a joker yeah okay well that's the episode of hoser horror about death dream aka dead of night and seizure from 1974 thank you for listening as always you can find us at back-row.com back at gmail.com is where you can email feedback and suggestions and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at back and where can everybody find both of y'all? You go first, Jenna. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> follow me on letterboxd.com slash Jenna Ipcar. That's my name. J-E-N-N-A-I-P-C-A-R. You mean you don't have like a weird name or like a weird joke or something that you have to explain like Carlo and I? <laughs> it actually used to be, it used to be a reference to Zork, the text adventure. Uh, and then I decided, well, I don't know why I'm making life hard. And I changed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like it was about the guru right yeah it was the, about a guru yeah. yeah yeah that's a good name love that guy <laughs> love him <laughs> yeah carlo 
Um, yeah, I'm also on Letterboxd. Uh, just just look for Carlo. <laughs> I am I'm e- I'm easily the top rated Carlo on Letterboxd. <laughs> nice. So. <laughs> You yeah, <laughs> I wish I could say that about being the top-rated Dan on there, but there's, sure there's actually a... two Dan Gormans on Letterboxd. So. Oh, there's two Dan Gormans on Letterboxd. I gotta kill the other one. <laughs> yeah, that's some Highlander shit. There can only yeah. be one Dan. Yeah, I had to kill him and absorb his life power. Yeah, but you're, you're easily the top Dan Gorman. The other one's called Daniel Gorman, and he sort of looks like <laughs> pretentious. He looks like oh, uh, <laughs> that guy who wrote Community. What's his name? Dan. Yeah, yeah, Harmon. Yeah, yeah. Dan, oh, Harmon. Yeah, Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon. <laughs> okay, mm. this guy is called Daniel Gorman. Shout out to Daniel Gorman on Letterboxd. But you look like Dan Harmon. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Gorman. So don't follow fake Dan Harmon. Just type in Dan Gorman on Letterboxd. You'll find me. Yeah, he's a pro. <laughs> and otherwise, thank you for listening. And this is the end of the show. So goodbye. See ya, bud. See ya.